I think Scorch Chess brings something entirely new to the chess scene. And, and that new thing is that I'm making it really easy for anyone to create chess events. Hello, and welcome to The Chess Circuit, a podcast all about the wonderful game of chess. My name is Adam Ralph, and I'm your host. In this episode, my guest is programmer, Oxford student, retired concert pianist and martial arts expert, Aloysius Lip, who in his spare time has created some groundbreaking tournament management software called Scorch Chess. I talked to Aloysius after his work on Scorch Chess had just won the English Chess Federation Award for online contribution to chess, which he shared with 4NCL Online. Congratulations on your award. Thank you very much. Tell me a bit more about this um, English Chess Federation Award for online contribution to chess. It's a grand title. What, what did you win it for? Okay, sure. So the award is somewhat of a new one. It used to previously be called the ECF's Award for Best Website of the Year, in which a whole range of you know, online portfolios for various clubs around the country um, were, were, were commendated as such. But this year, they noted the kind of transition which has been taking place in recent years to online chess. Now, we've seen that, of course, most conspicuously with the two big online chess websites, LeeChess and Chess.org. But just all around the Internet, people are playing a lot more chess online. Things are becoming a lot more digital. And so that's really kind of what the spirit of what I've created and what this award is all about um, is now. So this award is called an online chess contribution of the year. It's simply something which is built online to improve how chess is played online. Um, and that's kind of what I've created. I've created an app which w- runs um, on a desktop, on a phone, in browser for chess organizers to make it super easy for them to create and run chess tournaments. Can I just say that the other people listening to this will be saying, yep, yeah, there's plenty of apps out there, but I've had a look at your app and it, there's nothing else that compares out there. It's a fantastic piece of kit. Well, oh, well done. thank you very much for saying that, Adam. Um, I'm looking forward to using it a lot, uh, use, for you using it a lot more in the future. I'll certainly be using it. I'll certainly be trying it out. I keep saying that to you, and I never quite get around to doing it. I think, I think special mention to Tornello.com because I ended up using Tornello, and I'm I'm quite conservative. You know, I tend to sort of find something that works for me and then and stick to it and it takes quite a lot to shift me from that position but i you know having seen the development of your app um i think i might be persuaded to give it a go and actually the irony is i mean let's let's just say this was um an award that was shared with 4ncl online i mean first of all does it annoy you to have to share your prize with the 4ncl and uh, secondly have you had any talks with them about using your software to run their events because they're using what i would consider outdated software now to run online events when they should really be using scorch chess obviously um first question absolutely not um 4ncr are a big organization run by people who've been doing it for a long time so Massive congratulations for them to winning too. And to be honest, it's quite, um, it's quite um, 
like appealing to me to be put on the same status as them when I've only just been starting for a year. So sure. I quite like that, in fact. And obviously, I know the guys who have one, and, uh, uh, and I'm very happy for them. Um, plus, I, I don't believe it limits the award in any way to have it be, not, um, be given to two people. In fact, that just says to me that they simply couldn't choose between the two of us and, and thought that both of us were, were worthy this year. So I quite like that. Um, I think congratulations to both of you. But what about, what do you what do you think? I don't know if you've actually seen, I mean, the excellent work of the Foreign CL online, um, basically tournaments and leagues online and bring, bringing chess to, to so many people. Have you have you seen the way they've organised it, and have yeah. you had any thoughts about using your I mean, software? It's it's functional. Kudos to them that they've got it turned around extremely quickly. It was a it was a very <laughs> quick adaption because they've been running this over the board for so long, and they needed to get it to a place where people like almost instantly needed to be able to access online. But I agree, it misses out on some of the core principles that I've tried to get across with Scorch Chess, and those kind of things are just instant. Um, intuitiveness of how to use it um a, a kind of site which you're presented with where you know exactly what to do where everything is exactly where you want it to be and it's all nicely laid out and with the four ncl's current setup um like everything is all there but you really have to work to get it i feel and that's the kind of step that i, I want to remove with, my, with, with what i've tried to build i, I love the use, the use of the word functional yeah. <laughs> yeah as as damning with faint praise because it is quite it's quite tricky to to organize any kind of online event using two different bits of kit that were never meant for it so i have seen other people struggle with with online events because they're trying to use for instance swiss manager which is you know software that i love um and trying to apply that to online tournaments on on platforms like lee chess and chess.com yeah. And your your software, I think the, the, the unique selling point for me is that your software um, basically links together all, all these different things. It, it links together the the kind of what we want as players, the user experience as a player. You know, I just want to be able to find the game quickly and go to a board and play chess. And it links together the, the online platforms who just want to attract as many people as possible yep. to play. Um, and in the middle of that, you've got organisers who are looking for some software to, to to do that. And I think it could be, I mean, that's a cliche, but it could be a game changer for a lot of organisers. Well, thanks very much, Adam. And I think that's exactly right. Um, you have these programmes like Swiss Manager, which have been around for so long and people are comfortable with. But that's kind of their fault, I feel. Because they've been around for so long, they're built in the kind of technologies which simply aren't suited for some of the modern day things that we'd like them to do. The way which I've gone about building my site it's with the most modern um, and powerful technologies which exist today. I mean, the, the, the stuff which is put into building the website, which you see, the one called Scorch Results, where all the players go to, um, that's the same technology mm -hmm. which is used to build Facebook. So you know that we're using custom stuff which can really easily handle the kind of integration and technology which is needed to access the data which we're getting from leechess and chess.com just easily. And so I think, well, I hope that that would, um, that would give me the edge going forward um, in trying to bring, bring new features and new kinds of attractiveness to potential organizers and players. Yeah, I think, it, you know, people underestimate just what a difference the software has on the experience and enjoyment of the end user, i.e. someone like me. 
And I have known players who've who've tried, you know, to be fair, they, they've tried because they want to play chess almost at any cost. They've tried Lee Chess and they've tried chess.com and found them somewhat lacking in, in themselves because they haven't got the bolt-on of, of tournament management and software. And then they've tried Tornello and they've quite liked that. But generally they've said to me, I'll, I'll wait until there's over-the-board chess because I'm not getting the same kind of pleasure out of playing online. Whereas when I look at your software, I think the closest comparison I can make is, is with the kind of management software you get when you're running uh, football leagues or softball leagues, you know, American football, tennis, you know, all the stuff that you find on online is beautifully presented. There's lots of, I mean, they throw statistics at you left, right and center. You can always track performance and there's nothing really like that or there hasn't been for chess players, for ordinary chess players. Yes, I think so too, Adam. And I think you're voicing the exact kind of ideas I had when I got started. This is exactly what I, I, I was thinking and was trying to build. Now what we should start to see with sports chess is anyone can set up their own tournament. Anyone can realize that, hold on, this, this fun hobby that I've been playing all along chess, I can turn this into a really cool event which can draw people in, which we can all come together and play. And it can all be really easy. That's the kind of philosophy of score chess. We, we, score chess. we try and take what should you know, boring and arduous, the, the kind of logistics of setting up a chess tournament. I don't need to, to, to beef on your, on your um, particular profession, Adam, but some of, the, <laughs> some, of the, some of the logistical aspects, we can just make it so that anyone who's interested in that kind of thing can just do it without having to go through all of the... Um, go through all the labor which i'm sure you're so used to um it means that the chess scene should start to open up with all these kind of events which people can come together and enjoy themselves um and to me that's really exciting yeah i agree i mean from from a user's point of view playing chess on demand is fine but i like to play in events and from an organizer's point of view i've discovered that the kind of user interface for organizers on lee chess and chess.com sim- is, is simply n- not fit for purpose as an organizer but what you've done is create a product that i can i can bolt on to free things like lee chess and chess.com and it turns them into special events as far as i can yeah, see yeah absolutely adam i think for, um as you're saying from the user's perspective it's nice for what you're doing to mean something so it's it's great just playing a game every now and then but if you're getting interested and you're getting good at it why not reintroduce this competitive element which we see over the board but you know you have to travel to particular tournaments and so on here scorch chest gives you a way to to spice it up to make it that exciting bit of competition which i think everyone enjoys i don't i don't know if it's just me but when i go on to Lee Chess, and I've had the same experience with chess.com and I'm, I'm looking for a, a game with a particular player. So I could be playing in an event and they tell me that I'm playing, you know, I'm playing Aloysius and I'm playing, playing him, you know, all the moves in an hour. I have a real problem finding that player, you know, getting the username right. <laughs> it's not the real name. And I have a real problem setting up the challenge correctly so that I'm playing the right colors with the right time control. And what you've done is Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you've removed that problem so that even somebody like me, you know, I can go on to Scorch Chess and I can 
register for an event and I can see that I'm playing you with white and I can just click on a link and it takes me to the board without any further complication. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, that's right, Adam. I mean, uh, we absolutely love Lee Chess, of course. I, I, I know the guys who have made it and, and they've done a fantastic job at, at, at what they've built. But of course, it wasn't really designed from the perspective of what you've just said. It wasn't, it's not made for specific tournaments. If you want to use it like that, you have to do lots of work because um, they weren't intending you to, to, to specifically use it in that way. So yeah, one of the things that we think are most, I think is most exciting with Scorch Chess is we eliminate that kind of hard work step for players as well. You can just click a button and everything that you wanted to set up is there for you. You've done all that work for yeah, us. That's right. So here's a question. I mean, what, what kind of events have been run on Scorch Chess so far? And in, in the future, where would you like Scorch Chess to, to go? Would you like people to be using Scorch Chess to run, um, say, an online championship or for, you know, the world, the world championships? Why not? How, how high do you think you could go? Okay. Well, let's work backwards um, from as to how high I can go. The sky's the limit, I think. I'm, I'm, whatever opportunities present themselves, I would gladly take up. I don't think there's any limits on what it can do at the moment. And so I'm super, super excited as to um, who, will, who, who, who or what might be interested in using the program um, and what kind of really high-quality games I could get being played on there. Um, as for what's been happening at the moment, well, so far, um, I've had, I, I, I think I want to mention at this point, the, um, one really long-standing tournament that's been on my pr um, platform from the beginning. That's the, of course, the 2020 chess international tournament run by, um, mm -hmm. my friend and, and, um, I'm pleased to say fellow award winner, Peter Hornsby, who, um, has, has done a fantastic job running six stages of, his tournament and he's just been awarded a presidential award from the ECF um, for that as well. So um, he's, he's super chuffed as, as well as he should be. And that's, that's um, attracted a at least a hundred teams every, every round for, um, for over the six stages playing nearly 2000 players in it of, of all kinds of um, extremely high levels. And that runs for my platform. So, the players all come together, they see their teams, um, they see their pairings each week, which Peter releases, and Peter controls it all through the tournament The tournament organizers app, which no one else sees. He gets to play around with all the players there, set up the pairings, um, and make sure that he can control the tournament exactly how he's liked it. So um, That is a great place to start. Yeah. Um, to me, that's, that's, um, there's lots of appeal there. Like... Um, I've, I've created something which lets Peter or any other organizer um, do whatever they have in mind. And that way Peter can create the vision, which he's wanted when he's organizing a tournament. Um, as for, as for other things that I've been running, well, excitingly, there's been a new, a new UK universities league, which has um, been set up by the captain of, of a uh, Reading chess club. And we've also got a variance, a chess variance, one from the community. We've got a knockout tournament, which is currently being uh, run through that. We have a few um, preliminary tournaments, which are going to be organized soon. Um, I, I'm, I mentioned those in, in the presentation release for the ECF nomination, but basically we've been collaborating with 
um, South Africa. Um, the the president of the club, the African Chess Lounge, has been um, chatting with that, and we're well. It looks like we're going to have some really exciting schools tournaments coming up. So, all kinds of um, all kinds of interesting things coming up for the future. Do you think? I mean, I've I've recently been using a couple of apps. I've been using uh, Chessable to improve my okay. chess, and I've been using Duolingo to to learn yeah. a language. And these two apps come at things that, especially the kind of model the paid model versus the, the free model. Um, they come at things at slightly different angles, but they do incredibly well. They're incredibly successful in their fields. Um, which side of that kind of argument do, do you come down on when you're creating your app? Good question, Adam. Well, um, I have to admit, I can't say too much for Chessable because I haven't, I haven't experienced it myself. You might want to tell me a little bit more about that in a second, though I might have a little bit of an idea. Duolingo, I have tried a few times myself um what language are you trying to learn adam french um you know i'm trying to brush up on my my schoolboy french because i'm running a few tournaments for the french at the moment and it's it's very useful but just to say briefly that that chessable was inspired by the kind of software behind duolingo the kind of you know spaced repetition model of learning and difference is that chessable is is pretty much ad free and it's a paid paid app um paid piece of software um and duolingo of course as you know is is completely free and paid for by apps and you can donate but it's completely free so when you're creating apps and we'll talk about your non-chess apps but when you're creating something for chess are you going down the route where um anyone can use it but there'll be another way of raising money to pay for it or are you looking for people to pay for it up front and then use it as much as they can well adam i think you've really nicely summed up the two kind of ways approaches that one could have when building an app there um free with ads or paid for as a subscription and i have to say i have always been of the philosophy that i'm strongly against ads i always feel like that those compromise a user experience whenever you're browsing through something or trying to get to the content whatever that you want the last thing you want to do is be interrupted by ads either blocking your access or like in the background or the side of what you're doing people introduce things like ad blockers in order to prevent those because um, um because they find them annoying but then um, yeah. those websites then are losing exactly. out on revenue so then they have to find other ways to force it upon you and it all becomes a bit of a struggle between quality and use of ads so the model which i've gone down is um a free model for all users and players who are using the site so if you're a player in the tournament it's absolutely free to um to to browse find your games etc and use that but i've gone for a paid subscription model for the organizers and that way i feel that those who are making the revenue can then appropriately um you know optimize or calculate how much they feel the the service is worth and then and then pay um pay based on that as, as to whether they think about it and and that way no one's user experience is being compromised the people who are benefiting most are, are paying for the service exactly as, as they are using it. And then those who who everyone else is focusing on, i.e. the organizers want the players to have a good time to be enjoying their chess, um, those players are still making sure they have the best experience possible. That's good. I mean, there's nothing more irritating than 
pop-up ads or downloading an app and which says the headline is it's a free app and then you discover that there's there's you know it's only free for three days and you have to give them your credit card that's always very annoying so uh congratulations i follow your your twitter feed um you i know you've got a scorch chess twitter feed and it seems like every other day there's some new development. I don't know where, where you'll where you'll stop. <laughs> well, I mean, what are the plans for the future? Okay, so my Twitter feed is a bit of a um, a secret hobby of mine. So whenever I'm coding, I just come across new interesting features or um, or various observations I've found. So I always feel it's quite healthy to have some kind of outlet for it. Otherwise, if you're just working on one thing for a long time by yourself, it, you can get quite cooped up. You can get quite frustrated with things you come across, perhaps or you come across something and you've got no one to tell. So that's what I keep my Twitter feed for. Mm. It's like, oh, here's an interesting thing. It's a nice thing to share. Or perhaps in many, many of the cases. So most of the content I post about, I would say is actually, I've got an exciting new feature coming up. I'm going to give you a sneak preview of it here. So as soon as I've just cracked something, so maybe I've just made something look absolutely beautiful, but it's not quite ready for production yeah. yet. That's where it goes, the secret <laughs> Twitter feed. You have to tell everyone, of, yeah. of course. It's great because they they can be your um, well we will be your beta testers obviously we'll be your beta testers <laughs> yeah, won't I we? Think so. One of the um, interesting things is uh, so much chess is going on online. I have to ask you this question. One one of the barriers to participating participation in my chess events, and I think generally, is the belief that when you're playing online, everybody else is yep. cheating. And not us, obviously, just everybody mm-hmm. else. Um, you've seen how Lee Chess and Chess.com handle those sort of cases where players are suspected of using engines. Um, do, do you, I mean, do you think we could handle this better? Is there some way we can handle this that will convince people to come back to chess online and um, have some faith in the integrity of the, the system yeah sure okay so here's the point where i really place my trust in kind of a centralized uh, model um so mm. i throughout throughout the development of my app i've sought to integrate it with the existing big chess platforms lee chess and chess.com and that's because when you're talking about something like cheating where this is the only the kind of problem which you can solve by uh the more kind of data you have analyzing it, the more you can suss out what it really takes to recognize a cheater. The, the, uh, the closer that they can get to do that can only come when they have that kind of big infrastructure in place already. They've already got the experience of looking through cheaters. And so mm-hmm. um, one, one perhaps approach I could have gone down whilst building my uh, website is to introduce chess playing on the site um, as its own native thing to to say perhaps be a competitor to Lee Chess or Chess.com or um, to introduce that convenience factor. But for me, this this, um, problem of cheating was so great that I said, well, there's no way I could possibly compete with the cheat detection of Lee Chess and Chess.com simply because they've been doing it for so many years. They have their specific algorithms and engines set up for this purpose. And so it doesn't make sense to me to to try and like uh, build the world from scratch here, um, if that makes sense as a as 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 a as yeah. a metaphor for it. Like um, the only way this problem can be solved is by putting our trust 
in the systems which already exist. And I think they're doing really good jobs at that, to be honest. You see on LeechS, they implement new things like you get a notification if you report a user, and um, which you've played mm -hmm. in the past, and they refund you rating points. So people feel, ah, I'm, I'm getting a sense here that actually there is some kind of due process going on that what I report someone, it actually does mean something. And I think the, the, there might be twofold effects here. One, that helps to bring back that confidence you talked about in the game where people are willing to play, are kind of trusting that the system will catch anyone who, um, who might cheat. But also from hearing those stories of people who have cheated maybe one time when they were feeling... Um, feeling insecure or whatever reason which caused them to do it you hear these stories of them being banned for life say or never having access to a platform again and these consequences are so severe that that really dissuades cheaters so i think both of those things are really strong positive effects and those are the kind of things i believe in to help restore trust to the community do you, do you think um having players on camera um helps or do you think it makes very little difference to the amount of cheating that goes on? Um, I can't say I've done the studies myself, Adam, but um, I, it can't be something that hurts. So um, I would probably be, I would probably definitely be looking at it as a feature to add to my own platform at some point. I think that if tournament organizers such as yourself, I know you're a very cool proponent of this yourself, want to make it a mandatory um, requirement of their tournaments, I can't see that being a bad thing. I, I, it seems to me that um, players should accept that. You know, we live in a world where we, we've had to move to this online system. And so we have to have some kind of sacrifices, compromise in order for people to ensure the veracity of the process. And that seems to me like a perfectly good way to go about that. Yeah, I think originally um, the idea of players being on camera was seen as some kind of um, punishment and people kind of resisted it. But actually, the more I run... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, you know, the more, more often I run tournaments where everybody's on Zoom, actually, the more it adds to the atmosphere yeah. of the event itself and people can see their opponents and they, you know, they, they feel that they've been to an event rather than just taking part in a, in a couple of Blitz games on an anonymous server. And I think, Tornello, the people who do Tornello have gone that in that direction, which is um, why I kind of went with them because I thought, yeah, I can see their argument and they're planning to build in um, Zoom into the application so that, you know, it, I don't know if you ever saw uh, the Master Game. It was a TV program about chess um, many years ago, but it was it was a really good model of how to how to broadcast chess. And what you would have is you'd have the the two grandmasters playing and you'd have the board in the middle of the, the screen. And on the top right, you would have um, the player of the black pieces and the bottom right, you would have the player of the white pieces, you'd have their, their um, video feed. And they'd be talking about the game. Obviously it was all done in post-production, but they'd be talking about the game and their thoughts as if they were, as if, as if you could hear them thinking about the game. And what, what would be cool is in, in, your application or in Tornello or any other application, if you could also build in those video feeds from the players. And I think that would be, um, I think it would be quite a great step forward actually to making the game feel more like an over the board game, which I think is, is kind of where we're trying to, to go with, with online chess. We're trying to replicate the experience people have had over the board 
online, which is quite a big ask, actually. Yeah, I think that's a good suggestion, Adam, and I think we'll add it to Scorch's list of uh, features, which we'd very much like to build in, and, and we'll see how we, we can slot it in on the, on the time schedule. Um, I think you get some <laughs> obvious disadvantages with having live video feeds for every player, though. Um, I mean, one obvious one is, like... Wet. I don't know if you've ever seen someone staring at a computer webcam for three and a half hours while they're concentrating very hard, but it's not the most <laughs> attractive set of uh, video feeds to be going into your into your um, into your tournament advertisement. I think also possibly you could have a problem with internet speeds. Um, I've been working a lot with international players as well as as well as um, my own university clubs yeah. who are coming from all over the country and world and and, and trying to take part in. Acti- um, activity so saying them saying to them you must have a webcam um either if you don't have one you can't participate or if you're using one if it slows down their internet i can see why that could um create kind of a a, yeah. a, a problem for for playing chess and, and the general accessibility of it all but i do agree that the yeah. advantages you've laid out do make useful features and that's why um as with every other feature I try to build into Scorch, I think things should be down to organizers' preferences. If this is the kind of um, tournament that you want to go about creating, that that's the vision that you have in your head. Um, I'm here to build the tools and give you the the possibility to do that. Well, the the good news is is that um, online chess, I think, will be here to stay, even even when the pandemic has passed. And what's quite interesting is that that um, platforms like Tornello are now being recruited to run f- official FIDE or ECU events, and I think that's that's the path we're going down. So it could be that you'll find, you know, in four or five months that that people are approaching you to run major events on your platform. And video seems to be. I mean, you look at the um, Champions Showdown and all the other events that are online. Video seems to be. An integral part of that. Yeah, I think I can I can see that all being true. I I would hope yes. that um we'll build enough features on on Scorch just to keep us competitive us with with the other sites like Tornello. Oh no, I think I think there's there's room for everybody. I think because if anyone if anyone looks at um those two sites, they are so completely different that you wouldn't believe they were offering fairly a fairly similar range of of services yeah. <laughs> they're just so completely different and um i know that chessables you know kind of only just getting around to designing an app for their for their site whereas you, you've you've got a fully functioning app haven't yeah. you um so we don't have a a mobile app as such um because of the kind of so the original right. concept of a mobile app was so that you could bring it live to a tournament hall. So the kind of vision which I had in my head here, let me, let me paint you a picture of that, is say you have your organizer sitting behind your desk um, kind of fielding off pairings um, that they might have for the round or sorting out complaints from parents, say, and they need to give an announcement out to all of the parents across the tournament hall to tell them, hey, the next round might be delayed in five minutes, or actually the next round is starting now. Here's all the pairings for it. Can all of the players please take their places? The purpose of a mobile app there would then be all of the players bring it to the tournament hall. They immediately receive a notification on their phone, and they know exactly where to go. They've, um, they can take their spots. They know who they're playing, and all of that kind of runs seamlessly. You get instant communication between the tournament organizer and the players for whenever you need it. 
the problem with all that, of course, is that's that's a that's a vision for live tournaments, people who are playing in a tournament hall and not <laughs> sitting in front of their computers. So at the moment, I've pursued development. So we have an app for your computer. And of course, it can be accessed to any browser as well. Um, but we might look back into building into a mobile app as you know things start to return back to, to normality. It opens up the possibility that you could use um, an app like this to run an event, uh, not just within the confines of one venue, but across multiple venues. I mean, I, I often thought, and I did try and set up an event in the Royal Parks because I thought an outside event would be would be great, you know, but there's the amount of paperwork, the risk assessment that you had to go through to, to run an event there was was huge. And imagine what it would be like now. But it makes me think of a particular event, which is the Dutch are very fond of something that I think they called it a they call it a walking tournament. It's basically a, a tournament that takes place in pubs and cafes across um, a city like Amsterdam. And instead of being in one venue, you basically play it across 30 venues. Uh, it's a bit like a, a pub crawl, to be fair. And somebody centrally uses software to organize all those pairings and direct people to different venues. And actually, now I come to think of it, something like this would be would be perfect. And also, given our current situation, for running an event al fresco, I might have to look into that. Well, Adam, that sounds absolutely wonderful to me. I don't think I've, I'd ever be one to turn on a pub crawl, especially if there's chess involved. But um, yeah, I mm -hmm. think you're right on the nail there. Scotch chess would, would be ideal for that kind of thing. I can already envision how that kind of thing would fit into my software. Watch this space. <laughs> Um, I know I know a little bit about you, and I know that you're incredibly busy, and um, your CV, you know, it has programmer, retired concept <laughs> pianist, martial arts expert, um, possibly Bond villain. Um, Bond villain? Sorry, uh, what, I mean, you seem to do all. This... <laughs> you just have a you 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 have a unique set of skills. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if if you have a layer somewhere, and you're creating lots more software. Um, because you're doing it all, I mean, just in your spare time. I mean, you seem to have created Scorch Chess in between doing your doing your studies at Oxford and and you know marshalling your other talent talents. How do you how do you find time to do all these things? Uh, yeah, I think that's quite a nice summary for it, uh, Adam. But I'd stress that 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 point you made about between my time. So I, I do like to find time for the things I'm interested in. I make sure to organise my life well so I can get time to 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 pursue these kind of things which i might be interested in this particular project scorch has been a uh, a baby of the lockdown i suppose um i started it just before we went into quarantine i got the idea and built a few prototypes which we which mm -hmm. we um nicely managed to run within my university club but i really hit my stride when we were all sent to our own homes and told to do nothing at all for for a good eight <laughs> weeks and that was the time where yeah. i decided to literally just hold up and um start to do some start to do some writing of, of some hard code so started to build the core logic behind it built the initial desktop app which allows you know organizers to to interact and, and get the pairings up i think i sent you a, a very early copy of of that kind of build which got produced there and from there it just kind of started yeah. spiraling forward um as for all the other stuff 
of course my university work is is the biggest part of my life right now but i do try and make sure that um well i've only got three years in university i try and enjoy myself as i go along and make sure i i get the most out of my time completely i mean tell me a bit more about the non-chess apps that you've developed i mean i've heard that you you won a prize for creating something called parliament tell me more about okay sure so um so that was in my first year at oxford um i'd only just been coding for a year um and me and a few mates decided as a bit of a laugh but also for some experience uh, to enter into a coding competition that was happening in Oxford uh, that year. In fact, I think we were only three months into into our very first term, so it was a bit of a bold move, but mm. we thought it would be quite enjoyable. Um, and so it was a hackathon, and I don't know if you've ever cr- come across this term before, Adam, but a hackathon is literally they at twelve um, takes place over a weekend weekend at twelve p.m. on the Saturday, and they gather you all in one room and say. Right, you have 24 hours. Get start, um, get started coding. And on 12 p.m. on the Sunday, they say stop coding. Show us what you've got. Yeah. So incredible. <laughs> we literally were camped out in the maths department on this particular weekend. Uh, we didn't sleep during that time. We didn't stop. Uh, we barely ate. I mean, they brought us junk food, which we could go and grab from from the various uh, cafeterias <laughs> over there. But it was entirely focused on building this one app. <laughs> um over o- over the course of the 24 hours and as a team absolutely effort. as a team effort team of four three of my mates from oxford all in my year as well um some of them extremely talented as like far more experienced um than me at the time so um but what what was nice that we each had our kind of specialized roles as well so at that time i was a bit of a novice didn't have any particular um core skill then um though i had experience in data handling so that's what i helped contribute towards the app whereas one of my friends was an absolute front-end god so he worked on all of the app develop like the the um the front-end mobile app development whereas another of my friends um had lots of experience with apis and um and web scraping so he collected a large amount of data which then we fed into the app so we each found our niche mm-hmm. our like niche specialized role got building on the app um, used up every single one of those 24 hours um, and finally had something to present. And and in the end of it all, um, we got to do a nice presentation and that presentation made it to the final, which eventually we went on to win. So Incredible. Um, an unlikely turnaround for us, but one which you can't imagine just how chuffed we were with that result. It was quite something for us. I imagine the competition was was pretty stiff. Yeah, um, we we weren't aware of it at the time because we were we were pretty focused on our own stuff. But then at the end of it all, we had a we had a peak round of what everyone else had been producing. There was some pretty amazing stuff from there. It it was a like there were people who'd been flown in from say Singapore or the US who'd come who'd come for the event, and, and some of those people were um, were say DPhil students. So uh, if if we'd known them at the time, we probably would have would have been quite <laughs> intimidated by it all but um as we were going about the project we were just like oh hey we've got a fun thing to work on let's let's just get this done it's amazing i mean the only equivalent i can think of is uh, there's there's a competition called nano remo which is basically a competition to write a novel it used to be um you, you would get like 24 hours to write a novel or something like that <laughs> you just write non-stop and then see what you've got at the end of it 
Um, but I think the quality, the quality is probably not quite so high in that. Um, do you, do you still play chess or have you, have you largely taken a back seat? Uh, yeah, absolutely. With still all play chess. So I, I, I think both of those answers are, can be right. Um, each on their own, Adam. So yes, I, I still play yeah. chess, but it has taken a back seat to my studies. Um, I used to play probably somewhat professionally, I guess when I was very, very young. So as a junior, so I literally went to all of the tournaments around the country. Um, I can't quite remember if you were organizing at the time, Adam, but if you were helping out on any of them, I probably oh, went to I think I think I've been doing it for, yeah, I think I've been doing it for long okay, enough. Sure. You, probably, you probably did. But if you were playing in junior tournaments, you were probably playing in something like the UK Chess Challenge yeah. or other, other big events Absolutely. like that. So UK Chess Challenge, big part of my childhood. remember that well every year. I actually never quite made it to the Terra Finals. I was always a challenger, consistently so every year. But I got to watch out at all of my friends going across at the Terra Finals who would wave across me at the hall. Um, but I did all right for myself in the challenges and picked <laughs> up a few prizes there. Around the age of 12, um, I managed to get into the England squad. So that was nice. Went on a few trips um, around to, I want to say, Dublin, um, Amsterdam, um, and various other places with with the the chaps who were running the ECF at the time. Um, but since then, I think you'd be right to say it's it's been of a backseat to academic studies. But I think the important thing is I play as and when I enjoy it. So um, if I'm really feeling like I want to play chess, I I tell my uni club captains that I, I want to be playing a match and there's there's pretty much always a spot for me. So I've managed to main my maintain my level just about to the extent that I can I can still be in the uni first team, but I've not been uh, That's good. not been winning that many prizes here and there. Oh, I won a prize in Peter's 2020 chess tournament in the qualifiers um, <laughs> for that particular yeah. one. Managed to nab myself a perfect score at those, but I can't quite think recently uh, anything else. The important thing I think is um, I'm 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 earning some points for my team and having fun while I do so. How did you teach yourself to code? Are there any um, kind of resources you'd recommend for amateur programmers? Oh, good question, Adam. Um, there's actually quite a story behind this. So um, it started really quite recently, I, I think I would say. It was the summer of 2018. Now, most programmers you see these days, um, who are my age anyway, they've probably been coding since they were kids. At five year old, like their dad probably put them on a on a big PC, and they've been uh, they've been learning various old languages as the technologies progress and so on. But I was quite a late joiner to the whole scene. Um, I started basically because I took a um, a different variant of the UK exam system. So um, for for your international audience, Adam, um, the majority of students in the UK take A levels. Um, but I took um, um, an exam called the International Baccalaureate. And so the quirk of that mm -hmm. was that it happened to finish two months earlier than A-levels. So um, whilst all of my other friends, I suppose, from various other schools were slaving away, revising for their final exams, I'd finished and had a very long summer um, to look forward to. And so that was the time mm -hmm. where I just happened to come across various training things got interested in it and spent the whole summer teaching myself the way I taught myself uh, a little bit different to I think probably what you're expecting I, I didn't have many resources to go off what I did was I found myself a pet project 
Um, and it just became my passion. And so just worked on that, got interested and learned as I was going along. So um, my pet project was actually chess related. <laughs> um, I think earlier in, in, in the in, in the podcast, um, Adam, I mentioned to you about how I helped run a chess variant server. It just so happened that at, at that particular time, the community, the server, um, needed a bot, an online um, bot to like do simple tasks to connect to various things. And, and one of the tasks, for instance, was um, to sync ratings with leechess.org. So it was really chess as well that brought me um, to the start of my programming. I decided I would volunteer to create this bot, got really interested in it, and basically Googled what was the easiest way to go about doing that and, and found my first <laughs> language, which was JavaScript, and so created a JavaScript bot. And from there, it just kind of rolled on. I found new features to add, got interested in other projects. Um, I found lots of open source projects to contribute to. That's, um, it, it's a really, so the best way I could describe this is um, if you imagine... If you imagine like an ocean full of different ideas, I guess, and, and projects people have done, and then across the world, there's people who are just like dropping their little contributions, like raindrops into the ocean. That's what the open source world is for JavaScript. It's the biggest one in existence. So loads of people just create projects, which they've done, and just put them online for free, and anyone can contribute to them. So I helped contribute some. I started writing uh, my own. And so just that kind of rolling stone of interest that uh, it just kept barreling on and and so i really got into that enjoyed it not so many resources i won't lie to you adam um i know there's lots of websites these days which promise that they'll teach you how to code in 30 days or give you a beginner's course with a certificate um i i think i might have tried one of those but never really found the appeal i know lots of people have approached me and, and been like oh i want to start coding i've seen what you've done could i maybe try one of these websites and i've always said you can't really learn how to code by following an instruction manual. Um, there has to be some kind of interest and passion behind it that will want to make you um, want to make you carry on. In, in that sense, I guess it's like learning a language. You you have to become familiar and and really like um, enjoying enjoying cr and creating something out of it and using it constantly. And that's the way to become proficient and 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 get good at what you're doing. That's interesting. Is it anything like learning chess or to, to go back to one of your passions, you know, anything like learning the piano? <laughs> okay. Uh, like learning chess. Um, I suppose so, because in chess you can get quite wrapped up in the thrill of the game. And that's, as I was saying, um, what I, what I recommend for anyone who wants to get into programming, you really have to start enjoying it and get into that. And I guess the piano as well, you can't really, you can't really start to get, good at music without appreciating it without without enjoying everything you're playing without wanting to play more so um in that sense i think absolutely so um in other senses though programming it you get to create something at the end of it you get to build a product and put it out there for everyone else to use and see so the things that you create have to be focused for other people you you get in your mind what would other people like to see and hear whereas when i play the piano i notice that what i'm thinking about is what i want out of whatever piece i'm playing i i, I look at it and, and try and work out 
the most beautiful lyrical lines, the kind of bits that I want to focus on and enjoy myself. So maybe there's different audiences there. Maybe that's a, a bit of a difference for you. But yeah, I think that there are some similarities that we can definitely observe. Have, have you been playing chess online or is, is there actually face-to-face uh, club chess at, at university at um, the moment? So university hasn't actually started yet, uh, not the Oxford terms anyway. So we go back to term in about three weeks' time. And the answer to mm-hmm. as to whether it will be face-to-face is we really don't know. Uh, we're hoping it will no. be face-to-face. And if so, then we'll obviously um, set up necessary precautions. And, and I remember at the end of last term, I was bringing disinfectants to the club meeting and making sure we had um, nice, clean playing rooms and sets. But um, <laughs> if it isn't, I yeah. don't see that it will be that big of a problem if it was all online. I think we would manage ourselves quite nicely. Yeah, I think um, the the only thing I've noticed about online chess, I don't know if if this rings any bells, is that because it, it's pretty much on demand, I mean, you can always find a, a game online. Um, I don't think a lot of players take it as seriously. So one of the phenomenons is um, people will sit down and they'll play a game of chess, which is supposed to, you know, nominally it's supposed to last an hour, maybe two hours, and they'll finish the game in, in 15 minutes. And, and these are even, even strong players um, are sitting down and playing the games rather too fast. They're much faster than they would do if, if it were an over-the-board game. I don't know if you've noticed that. Yeah, Adam, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I don't know if, if you've got any solutions to that. I know some players like to like alternatively have a physical chessboard in front of them and then stare at that. Yeah. And then only when they decided to move, put it into the computer. But um, I think that's part of the nature of the beast. Online chess playing encourages quicker playing. Yeah, it's funny you should say that because at, right, right at this moment, I'm running a tournament online and I'm watching the players on the camera on the Zoom call. And uh, there, there is at least one player who asked me permission, which I granted, to to play using a real board. So, I mean, he, he found it much more um, conducive to concentration um having a real wooden board in front of him he can see the board um on the screen he sees his opponents move and he makes the move on the board and i can see the board he's using so i know he's not analyzing yeah. as well and he said that helps him concentrate and take it more seriously and i have actually advised other people who've been playing um standard games online um to even write the game down on a score sheet <laughs> even though they don't have to just because it gets them back into that rhythm and one of the things that, that people have said to me is they're really worried that once they start going back to playing chess over the board, that, that they'll take over some of the bad habits they've picked up online into their over the board game. You know, they'll play too fast or maybe they won't analyse quite as, quite as long as they would do normally. Um, I think that's going to be interesting, you know, once, we, once the lockdown is kind of lifted and people actually go and play chess. Um, in tournaments, whether or not that's affected the, their play. Yep, I think it's a definite worry, Adam. You also may be uh, seeking an opinion from the wrong guy here because I've I've always been one on the internet to play super, super fast games. <laughs> my, my preferred time <laughs> control is actually bullet or hyper bullet, which is one plus zero or, or um, half plus zero for reference. So <laughs> I really do speed it out um, when it comes to the internet. But when we come to over the board, uh, I don't know, perhaps it's like a, a light switch thing in your head. 
there is something different about physically touching pieces and, and, and staring across at a set in front of you, maybe even getting up and walking around, looking at the other side. All of that helps you focus and, and, and maybe treat the game a little bit more seriously. So I'm not sure we'll see an instant effect as you describe when, when the lockdown settles and people start playing properly again. But um, I do think that there are two different styles of play which are introduced by this new medium. Tell me a little bit more about Hyperbullet because um, I used to play quite a lot of bullet chess and um, all, all it did was make me make me lazy and give me RSI. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it wasn't very good for my, my chess development. Hyperbullet just sounds, um, I don't know. Uh dangerous absolutely hyper i think is probably oh, there aren't many good things about it but one good thing is you learn <laughs> lots of openings so that's nice and cool yeah um, you can experiment and no one really cares because if you lose one you might win one the next day with the same opening and you you get to know it and, and all the games are so fast you can try out a lot of things um secondly i think it it keeps you really really sharp on the tactics so you win games by noticing combinations that your opponent does that's basically it like um when you're playing at a certain level no one blunders anymore well hopefully but um but equally you probably don't get to an end game there's going to be one really sharp one good tactic in the middle game which will win you a material which will cause a resignation so it's getting to that spot um and practicing that skill which can come in handy like it, it can be really useful for some of the longer play games as well. So I think that is a worthy skill to develop that can come out of hype. But otherwise, it's just a bit of fun, Adam, for sure. Yeah, don't worry. We all we all blunder. It doesn't it doesn't have to be hyper bullet for for people to blunder. That's yeah. uh, it. Just make, it just makes things <laughs> worse. What's interesting is I've I've noticed. Uh, I know you're interested in this area. Um, I've I've run some chess variant tournaments. Um, like chess 960 I've, I've done all sorts of things like that and i noticed that has become it's experiencing a resurgence in popularity during lockdown because it's so easy to play yeah. online um that that's something i think i thought had gone away um which is a shame because I, I really enjoyed it but now i think i see it's bouncing back and um even at the sort of world class level um they're organizing uh, chess 960 Fisher random tournaments and um, I know you're interested in that yeah aren't you? absolutely so so I can help you out with some anecdotal evidence um, here Adam I help run a chess variants like community so we have a, a particular discord server online in which we gather together all of the variants players to discuss ideas share openings follow matches mm. that are going on as well and also help set up tournaments and that's a very big part of it so um, when I first set this up this was about two years ago we had mm -hmm. our community, but I would say it was pretty solid. Like you knew who everyone was. There were about 200, 300 players in, in say crazy house and a handful more in, in, in other ones such as um, anti-chess or atomic chess. Um, and you'd get people who would join who are maybe interested, but um, you might teach them in. You might get a, a new person joining it, um, every now and then, but it was pretty much set. I would say nowadays you get, new people walking in the door of that community every single day like we have new joiners maybe 10 to 15 i've noticed i've not uh, i've not managed to introduce myself to them all or, or get get to know them all but <laughs> i see them coming in and it's, it's pretty cool to see that community growing um and 
with that, you get other advantages, of course. So, so the quality definitely increases. You get new theory brought in. And because there's much more demand, you get people, as you say, organizing events in them, not just the world champion 961s, but there's all kinds of little variant tournaments going on, uh, informal world championships, battle royales, and that kind of thing. And that's very exciting to see. Um, and it means that people like me who really enjoy that kind of thing can always find themselves a game. Excellent. I know the Champions Showdown is going on at the moment, and I think they're using a variant of um, Chess 916. I think it's a rapid tournament. So that that's really good news. I mean, I I, I like the classical game of chess. Um, chess 960 is about as far as I'll <laughs> go, you know, towards towards changing the game. But I do remember once I was in Amsterdam and I happened to walk past a, a pub and I saw all these people playing chess, so I had to go in. And um, I, look, I looked around the tournament hall. There were lots of people I recognized, masters. Um, there must have been about 50 or 60 people playing chess in this tournament. And it was only when they started the next round that I realized they were playing chess 960 yeah. because I'd walked in halfway through the games. And of course, as, as you know, when you start playing chess 960, the game pretty much normalizes after a certain number of moves because, you know, the stronger players will put their pieces on good yeah. squares. And I was really struck by that. And I, I think in, in many other countries, you know, that's, that's fairly normal. You know, people are playing different types of chess um, in, in big events. So I hope we get a bit more of that. I think that can only be healthy for the game. And, and the thing about online chess is it's so easy to organize. You know, you don't have to, everything is done for you. You don't have to explain yeah. how to set the pieces up. The pieces are already set up for you every round. Absolutely, Adam. And um, I have noticed from from my own experience with the community that lots of the members are international and they talk about um, the popularity back home. I would just add to that, though, by saying within England, we do have one particular variant which is particular, um, particularly popular, which is, of course, Bug House. I don't know if you've come across this before. It's also called Exchange Chess. <laughs> I, love, I love Bug House. Or Swap, or swap yeah. Chess. But, yeah, I love it. when I was a junior... Uh, it was always the go-to post-tournament game. We'd always crowd around after, um, waiting for the prize giving, perhaps as the as the sets were still out. Quickly organise yourself into pairs. It was always um, winner stays on, loser goes off, and that kind of thing. And that spirit I've noticed amongst my university friends as well seems to have been maintained um, still. So I I I suspect that that's kind of a this country thing. That's our variant which we've chosen um, as our most popular. Um, but maybe you're right that we'll experiment more um, with this online transition. No, I, I love Bug House. I mean, it, just just to explain briefly to anyone who hasn't heard of it, it's it's like exchange chess played on one board, and exchange chess is basically oh, not quite, Adam. I, you, I, I you think I might have to stop you there. So, Bug House is exchange chess, um, <laughs> and, and that one, Crazy House, is the one on on two boards. Ah, so okay. Bug House is on two boards. Um, you you find yourself a partner, preferably a good friend or an yep. enemy if you want to treat them meanly over the course of this partnership. Um, but you and your <laughs> partner play on opposite colors with your boards next to each other. And every time you take a piece, you pass it over to your partner and they are able to drop it down on the board wherever they'd like as one of their turns. So Exchange right, chess. Yeah, which is also called Bug House. Right. So okay. you get this kind of crazy game of uh, people trying to take pieces deliberately or maybe 
force force opponents to swap in order to to feed their partners on the next board and, and try and get them to make really aggressive attacks and, and go for checkmates and so on. So it's it's a nice game that not even be not only like augments various strategic elements of chess, but also brings in this added level of communication as well as increased time pressure. And so it's it's a nice entertainment entertainment form of chess. And it still helps to be a decent chess player, although I have seen plenty of decent chess players crushed <laughs> um, by enthusiastic juniors. So uh, you know, it's great. It's great yeah. fun. It's a great level. So um, thank you for being my guest on this um, podcast. Um, before we go, do you have anyone that you'd like to hear me talk to on the podcast? I think I think. Hello. I love technology. <laughs> I'm back with you. I probably pressed the button. You know, I'm always doing that. I pressed the wrong button and managed to cut you off. Um, so um, I, I only caught half of the last question, which you were saying. Uh, my, my question was, you've been such a good guest. I wanted to give you the, um, the opportunity to nominate the next guest. Um, I've got a little list of people that have kindly said they would come on episodes but um i wondered if you had any any suggestions people i might not have uh, well thought thank of. you very much adam it's, and it's been a real pleasure ch- talking today uh, talking to you today and thanks very much for taking the time to to hear my thoughts on, on on these various things um i think you could get a really conversation out of talking to the the guys who are like me in that they're currently at the head of their own university clubs at the moment so obviously i've been i've been dealing with the the Oxford chess circuit uh, and and we've been reinvigorating that of late but I've been communicating a lot recently with my fellow presidents secretaries you know um, the guys who are really driving stuff at my neighboring universities so um, for instance there's James Connors who James Connor who's just um, retired from being head of Reading chess but has had a difficult battle of his own getting the club back to um, back to some kind of exciting level where players can en- enjoy themselves once again you've got the guys over at UCL sure. um, who 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 have set up their own league it's it, it's absolutely phenomenal what they've been doing and 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 just starting it this season yeah. Michael Green and 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 Dylan Mize so um, they've definitely gone through a journey there um, so I think they would have extremely uh, interesting insights that they could offer you as your possible next guest Adam that is an extremely good suggestion, and I will follow that up straight away. That's a very good idea, and we might even have a panel. You know, we might get a few of them on together, and you know, see where that we go. Good. Brilliant. Thanks ever so much, and good luck with all your endeavours. Thank you, and lovely talking to you, Adam. I'm sure we'll speak soon. If you're a premium subscriber to my newsletter, imaginatively titled The Chess Circuit, you can suggest guests and topics for future episodes and enjoy many more yet-to-be-conceived perks. You can find the link to my newsletter in the show notes. Thanks for listening.